And uh, I'm happy that I haven't had to buy fat pants ever in at least 10 years. All of the negative things that you think and say and do are the result of your stupid body trying to keep you from being in danger because it doesn't know you're in charge. In fact, it doesn't even believe you're in charge. So dropping emotions that aren't serving you, that come up unbidden, is a massive way to free yourself. You know, I stay up late, I put myself in a very specific thing and I'll write for four hours straight, uninterrupted, and I'm just finishing my, my next book. And when you do what you're supposed to be doing, it is effortless. It doesn't feel like work. It doesn't take very much energy. It's like there's something pushing you in that direction instead of you pushing against something. And that's where to get started. Know why you're here and what, you're, what you want to be doing. Make sure that you black out your window, put foil up in your window if you have to, but make it so when you wake up in the morning, you can't see anything and watch what happens to your quality of sleep. Unplug all the little blinky lights and crap like that. Put your phone in airplane mode, turn off your Wi-Fi, see what happens. And that alone, if you do that every night, can make you a better human being. Hi, and welcome to the 200th episode of the I Love Success podcast. What started as a passion project in 2016 has now become an obsession. An obsession to dig deep into the personal stories of the thought leaders and game changers of the world so that you and I can excel in our own lives, redefine success, and live a happy and fulfilling life. Today marks our 200th episode, and there are so many people I would like to thank. Too many to mention here, so I'll make it short. Thank you to every kind human being I've met along the way that has made this journey possible. A big shout out to you that are watching and listening. The I Love Success podcast would be nothing without you. This show has truly changed my life for the better, and I hope you can say the same thing. This is why I do it. And today is actually a full circle moment for me because the whole reason I started my podcast is because of Brian Rose from London Real. Back in Sweden, I used to listen to his amazing conversations and dream myself away. I heard him talk about some kind of coffee with grass-fed butter in that were supposed to be good for you and also tasted delicious, and that they had just opened a location on Main Street in Santa Monica. Now, half a decade later, Bulletproof Coffee has become a routine for me, and which guest could possibly be better for our 200th anniversary than the founder himself? Dave Asprey, the father of biohacking. Dave is a Silicon Valley entrepreneur that was fed up with being overweight and unhealthy. So he started investing in himself and his health. He's the founder of Bulletproof Coffee that has served over 200 million cups, multiple New York Times bestseller, and the host of the award-winning podcast, Bulletproof Radio, with over 175 million downloads. But not only that, he's a father, a husband, and an overall kick-ass human being aiming to be at least 180. So let's welcome Dave Asprey to the show. Hey, Peter. Thanks for having me on. Super excited. It's so funny, you know, when I when you start reach, researching people, I figured out and learned that your wife is Swedish and she's Yet a doctor. Bra. Yet the bra. I'm Swedish. My wife is actually <laughs> a Swedish and a doctor as well from Stockholm. So and it's funny what you learn when you, you know, dig deep into the human lives of yeah. us. Uh, so I want to I dig deep today and kind of honor your journey. So can we just kind of go back and, and talk heart to heart? When you were like obese, overweight, you had the man boobs, you were kind of smart uh, doing your thing. Like, What was it that 
what was that moment that you decided I need to change something in my life? You get sort of frustrated when you're, you're fat. Uh, everyone who's fat knows it. You don't need a scale. Uh, you just need either your pants or a mirror. <laughs> and so you don't like it. You say, oh, it's just a few pounds and you can explain it away. Uh, but then you get to a certain point where, like, okay, this is more than a few pounds, but you can still explain it away because you've got a job, you've got stuff to do, you're already in a relationship, whatever. But then what they don't tell you about being overweight like that is that when you have all that extra fat on your body, it's a sign of inflammation. It's, it's actually that the food and air that you're eating are not combining to make energy for your willpower and for your immune system to work and for your brain to work they're actually getting shunted off somewhere else because something's broken biologically. And that leak of power and energy makes you tired. It makes you cranky. It makes you more reactive. And I got to the point where I was having cognitive dysfunction and I got tired of being in pain all the time. And sure, I, I could lose 25 pounds and I could gain it back with 35 pounds and you could just do it over and over and over. And the, the whole time you're suffering, like you're hungry. And one of the things for me, that stood out a lot was I was at a, a Carl's Jr., a fast food restaurant. I haven't eaten fast food in many God, decades, but I was maybe 24, 23, something like that. And I look around, I'm like, wait a minute. I have gone to the gym six days a week, an hour and a half a day, half weights, half cardio. Didn't matter if I was sick, didn't matter if I only slept two hours, I was gonna go to the gym. And I'd been on a low fat, low calorie diet and I looked around at all my friends. I'm eating the chicken salad with no dressing because it has fat in it and no chicken because it has too many calories. And I was like, I mean, like lettuce. <laughs> my friends are eating double Western bacon cheeseburgers, you know, with cheese and bacon and all the good stuff everywhere. And I just thought, wait, I work out more than all my friends. I eat less than all my friends. I'm still a 46 inch waist. I'm fat. How is this, how is this even possible? Uh, and at that point, I just realized it's probably not a moral failing because I'm actually doing the work. It's, well, maybe I am eating too much lettuce, but I don't think so. It must be something else. And I started looking at things that might work because doing what was supposed to work didn't work. And so many times uh, when I've also interviewed you know, 700 and, and something uh, game changers on Bulletproof Radio, my podcast, quite often they got to a point where, well, I did what was supposed to work. It didn't work. And, and it's measuring results, seeing what works. And so that was one of the many things that led to the creation of biohacking where it's like, look, you can measure it. If it doesn't work, try something else and try the stuff that's most commonly believed to work. Like, oh, lowering your cholesterol, it doesn't do anything for you. In fact, it's probably bad for you <laughs> depending on what, what you're doing there. So then you start looking at the data and you look at your own data and say, wow, my brain has the response time of a 20-year-old, and mine actually does. <laughs> my arteries are the age of a 24-year-old based on pulse wave velocity. And there's all these things you can do. And, you know, if people are going to tell me that, oh, putting butter in your coffee could kill you, like I've been doing it for 10 plus years, and I'm healthier now than I ever have been, and things work better. And I can tell you the 16 different reasons it works. And some of that's even based on university research that I funded now about basic water chemistry that no one knew about. So... Look, if it seems to work and you can measure that it works, you can keep doing it. It's okay. And that's, that was the mindset I took. And uh, I'm happy that I haven't had to buy fat pants ever in at least 10 years. Yeah, I'm happy too. And can we just talk about like, I love the data, the biohacking, all of that. What, what I try to you know, focus a lot on is the mind. Like what was going on in your mind during that time, you know, 
because you're in that age, you, you want to date, you want to do stuff. And like, there's, there's something missing, right? And how did you work on the confidence and how did that build up once you did find a, a system that worked for you? Uh, that, uh, that's a funny question. If, if I really look at back on it, I had so much cognitive dysfunction uh, as, a, as a kid that uh, I would have qualified to be on the Asperger's syndrome. And I never was formally tested back when my brain was like that. But let's see, my grandmother's a PhD nuclear engineer, my grandfather's a PhD chemist, and everyone on one side of the family is Asperger's. So lots of engineers. So what I did is what any good Silicon Valley Asperger-like engineer would do. I went to a networking group, a business networking group. I stood in the corner in my 46-inch waist pants and watched what people did until I could learn like the, the socialization and networking skills that were required. Because what I figured out was, hey, um, if I'm going to go make good stuff, uh, if I can't communicate it, then it won't work. And I'd already seen this in Silicon Valley. You can make great stuff, but if no one knows that you made it, you still failed. So for me, part of it was to gain confidence was just watching things and then practicing, you know, in a Thursday night networking group on the Stanford campus. I didn't go to Stanford, but they had, you know, a, a business thing for the, the birth of the Silicon Valley.com web era people. We could go hang out. So that was part of it. Um, but then there's still that really mean voice in your head and uh, newsflash. <laughs> if you're in your 20s, you probably have it. It's normal. And it's, it's a mean little like psychotic voice. And what I did that probably made the most difference was I started working on the physical side of things. And and this is missing from most of the personal development literature. It's mostly in my book called Headstrong, where I talk about the dynamics of this. Your willpower is based on electrons, which is based on air and food. So if you're doing a bad job biologically of making electrons, you will do a bad job of managing the voice in your head. So if you want to reprogram that thing, you want to do any personal development work, if you can make more electrons, personal development work gets easier, whether you're beginning or advanced. And the easiest and simplest hack, and now I'm going to sound like I'm selling something, um, Peter, whether or not you or anyone listening buys Bulletproof or not, it won't change my life. So I have no, no meaningful personal motive in doing this. Bulletproof coffee is a very quick way to change the amount of electrons available in your body because of one of the ingredients called, it's a certain subtype of MCT oil called brain octane. Look, it makes your brain work better <laughs> because it gives you more electrons, at least if it gives you more electrons. That's, that's the intent behind that, that in the beverage. So you do that and all of a sudden, oh, I have a little bit more energy and you can use that then to meditate or to do deep breathing exercises. In my case, I'll go to South America, do ayahuasca with a shaman back when... I could show up and they'd say, um, you're white. Uh, That's only for local people. Like no one ever wants to do that. You'll throw up. Why would you do that? And I say, yeah, I recognize that I'm white, but I've, uh, you know, I'd like to try this. And now it's a tourist industry. So ayahuasca has become kind of a hip thing, even though it's uh, rigorous and probably um, a lot of people do it without appropriate spiritual guidance. So I did that. And then I went to Tibet to learn meditation from the masters. I said, I'm going to do these things after I got enough of my biology working. A lot of people say, oh, I'm, I'm fat, I'm tired, I have a mean voice in my head and I yell at people around me and I have bad relationships and whatever the voice in your head says. And so I'm going to go work on those. <laughs> Newsflash, work on your energy first because you have more energy. You can suddenly say, okay, I'm going to take a deep breath. I'll be nice to my boss when he yells at me instead of you know, flying off the handle because you know where that's going to go. So self-control came about from having more energy. Uh, and in my case, the biggest progress on just turning off the voice in my head has come from advanced neurofeedback to the point I started a company in that space. It's called 40 Years of Zen. 
where people come and spend five days of doing intensive neurofeedback work with hardware that we designed that you glue electrodes to your head. And then it actually lets you see when the voice in your head is rearing itself. And you can say, oh, that's actually not me. That's my automated systems. And you find out, Peter, that all of the negative things that you think and say and do are the result of your stupid body trying to keep you from being in danger because it doesn't know you're in charge. In fact, it doesn't even believe you're in charge. You know, uh, they, you know what pisses me off? You know, I, I was an elite athlete for many years. Uh, I was an eight-time national champion in karate and a world medalist. And wow. one thing that pisses me off, I didn't know any of this. My coaches didn't know any of this. It's not taught. This, this is like original. This, like I wanted, I wanted to know this like from my coach. Like why is this not bigger in, you know, especially in, uh, in high peak performance? Well, here's why, Peter. There's two ways you can, uh, you can accelerate your growth. One is you can run away from something, right? And the other one is you can run towards something. <laughs> and it's more work to run away from something, but it works exceptionally well. So the beginning of my career, look, I, I'm going to tell you how well this works. I made $6 million when I was 26. Okay, I lost when I was 28, oops. <laughs> but I had a brief period of wealth there, that was, which was really nice and helped to fund some of my self-experiments. But I was deaf, just deathly afraid of failure, right? So if you will do everything in, in your power to run away from failure, and the reason people are afraid of failure is it's really straightforward. It's all biological and it's programmatic and it's, it's based on rules. I'm a computer science guy. So it's based on an algorithm for life. And I'll tell you what the whole algorithm is in a minute. But the most important thing is don't die. And, and your body knows without you thinking about it that if you're not a part of the tribe, no one will feed you and the tigers and lions will eat you and you'll die. Right? So that's why we're afraid of failure. So you, you don't think about this. It's built in. It's automatic. It's outside the brain. It's in subcellular components throughout the body that roll their behavior up into what you feel. And so, God, failure is impossible. I will beat myself up to you know, be the best in the world. And the whole time you'll be telling yourself, I'm not good enough. I'm a bad person. If I don't do this, no one's going to love me. Like, you know, I'll never go out on a date and blah, 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 blah. Well, the other thing you could do is you could say, I don't care about any of that stuff. <laughs> like, I want to do this because I want to be the best in the world. Like, I want to make a meaningful impact. I want to inspire people. I want to do what I want to do. And it's actually way less work to do that because what they haven't taught you as a professional athlete and what they don't teach anywhere is that the voice in your head costs you electrons. So if you can shut up the voice in your head, the energy that went into that goes somewhere and it goes into either folding proteins properly so you can live longer or it goes into your willpower so you can persevere and you can be more resilient and you can be stronger, faster, smarter, better, or you can just be more giving, more kind, you know, more calm. Whatever your goal is, it's free energy that's just wasted with these little eddies in your mind that don't even do anything. You want to know the algorithm for life? Yeah, you know, I'm trying. What I'm trying to do here is to redefine success. So any any help I can get, uh, I truly appreciate it. All right. And this came to me after I wrote uh, Headstrong. This was my book. I went really deep on mitochondria in the brain. So this is a book on how do you keep your brain working better than it's supposed to. And it hit the New York Times monthly bestseller list between Homo Deus and Sapiens, along with the Secret Life or the Hidden Life of Trees. And I was like, wow, I never imagined as an author. Um, that one of my books would hit you know, the big list, uh, which was a, a serious honor. 
and there's huge numbers of references, but the mindset of, okay, let's look at how our, our bodies make energy and let's pay attention to these tiny ancient bacteria. And here's the, the sad history of how we got to be who we are. A couple billion years ago, there's some bacteria floating around and there's some other cells floating around, probably some kind of parasite. We're not really sure what. Well, the two met. And we like to say, oh, we uh, were the cell and these bacteria, we harnessed them to be our mobile power plants and they're called mitochondria. Now, the story from the mitochondria's perspective is, hey, we were floating around, we found these dumb mobile Petri dishes, we moved right in, we took over and we're still in charge. (laughs) You have this conflicting basis for what you are because you're, you're actually every cell, most cells in your body are stuck together where you have um, tens to hundreds to even thousands of these ancient bacteria studded within a cell. And you think about that, do bacteria have an algorithm to stay alive? They have to. Everything alive does and everything shares the same algorithm. And what an algorithm is, is just a set of instructions you follow in order to solve a problem. And the problem is how do I make sure the species survives? So number one, whether you're a cactus, a zebra, a slime mold, it does not matter. Number one, run away from, kill, or hide from scary things. And this is really important because if you die right now, it's game over. So you will put 10 times more energy behind things you're afraid of. That's why you remember them better. That's why you respond to them better. And that's why fear of failure leads to procrastination and leads you to do all sorts of things that you wish you hadn't done later. Number two, okay, nothing's trying to eat me right now. What should I do? Well, so if the first one is fear, the second one is food. Because famine has killed every species throughout its history when there's not enough food available. So you eat everything. And this is why when you're fat and you're not making enough energy, the voice in your head screams really loud, eat the donut, eat the donut, eat the donut, until you're just like, I run out of willpower, I'm going to eat the donut. Right? It's not that you're a bad person. Willpower is powered by electrons. You didn't eat the donut. You're not storing, you're storing electrons instead of using them, et cetera, et cetera. You're going you're gonna to lose. The donut will win every single time. And it's not because you're a bad person. It's because you're a person. So... Fear and then food. So run away from kill or hide, eat everything. Okay, third thing, it's also an F word. You know what it is? Yeah, I think so. What is it? <laughs> Maybe F-U-C-K. <laughs> oh, Peter, I was thinking fertility, but hey, wherever you want to go, Peter. I'm, I'm not... <laughs> By the way, that's what everyone says. So, okay, I, nothing's trying to kill me. My stomach is full. I think I'll get some. Why? Because if you don't reproduce the species, it's the end of life. Yeah. Right? And that's your body beliefs. Now, have you ever done something you're ashamed of that wasn't from one of those three things? No. Well, there you go. None of those are actually you. Those are automated defense systems from ancient bacteria that are the puppet masters in your body. It also turns out that those ancient mitochondria are the first line environmental sensors and they make hormones. They don't just make electrons. They're not just power plants. They're sensors that exquisitely, trillions of them throughout the body, actually quadrillions if I'm remembering my research right, throughout the body are sensing the environment all the time and changing you in response to the environment based on their stupid algorithm. And because they're dumb little bacteria, they don't understand, actually, that's not a threat. That's my teacher. (laughs) Right? They don't get that. The teacher looks like something that might have been a threat when you were two. They'll fire off a little threat response. It'll cost you energy. So part of becoming a highly functioning human being is having really good pattern matching. So before you become aware of something, it runs through a distributed set of patterns throughout your body. 
right? And each time it's filtering out information. Oh, I don't need to know that. I don't need to know that. I should respond to that. I shouldn't respond to that. Oh, I think I'm injured. And it's a local belief of an injury. And funny, you can hack all of that stuff. So the definition of biohacking I came up with was the art and science of changing the environment around you and inside of you so they have full control of your own biology. You change the inputs. So if the dumb little cells in your body are worried about something or their timing system is off, you can change the timing system with the color of light that goes in, with the temperature, by what you eat, when you eat, by deep breaths, um, all kinds of things. And then the environment within you is you turn off the pattern matching. All of us learn when we're young, certain things are threats that aren't actually threats. And then we still have a threat response. Waste energy, makes you old, makes you think you're a jerk, puts bad voices in your head, all that stuff. And there's the sum of knowledge of humanity. At this point, I've interviewed Nobel Prize winners, people have discovered fields, actually multiple fields in medicine and psychology and therapy. Uh, and it all agrees, whether it's ancient Tibetan stuff, ancient Chinese stuff, or the most recent transpersonal psychology stuff, what you end up with is there's a lot going on in there that's useless and can be reprogrammed. So my algorithm from the 40 years of Zen uh, training program, after having done a lot of work around the planet, was, okay, I'm going to hook a computer up to my head or to, to clients' heads, and we're going to show you when the voice in your head is lying to you. So you're going to sit down, you're going to do a specific type of meditation, and you're going to think about something. When you do, your brainwaves are going to change, and they're going to change for the negative. You know, there you go. You are responding with a threat response to something you didn't know about. How are you going to turn off a threat response? You could cognitively catch it and say, oh, I know. This is what they teach you in a lot of psychology. Oh, I know that I'm feeling fear. I'm just going to accept that I'm having a feeling, right? And then I'm going to go do it anyway. Thumbs up. Okay, that's a win. That's much higher level of enlightenment than most people. Wouldn't it be better though, if you could say, oh, you know what? I know that I have a threat response or just a reaction. Now I know because I can see it in my brain was I didn't actually feel very much because it was subtle. So rather than learning to feel it and then learning to accept it and let it flow through me so that I can you know, make the next block, the next move, or I can do the next big thing, or I can proceed in spite of the fear. What if you turned off the pattern matching, you turned off the switch that led to the fear in the first place because it was an inappropriate fear that didn't match reality? And that's what I've done for myself over the course of months. Most people just go for five days. But that's one of the reasons I started uh, the 40 Years of Zen program is that I can uh, go in and I've, at this point, the voice in my head doesn't do things like that anymore because I found the vast majority of things that were even micro triggers to make my brain get off of what it was doing. Uh, and I said, oh, what does that come from? And the algorithm there, it's really funny. Um, you go through, and this is part of our, our reset process that we do. We put the brain in a very specific state that uh, we built the hardware and software to do it. So you're sitting there, you learn the skill. Okay, now I'm feeling this thing. And then I'm going to go through and I'm going to say, you know what? I'm going to find something I'm grateful for about this horrible thing I'm worried about. And I've had people come through with the biggest fears, like fully, highly functional, wealthy, successful. I run companies. I'm a big actor, I'm a sports star, people like that, they'll come through. And it always comes down to, you know, I haven't thought about this in years, but in first grade, little Johnny was mean to me, right? And he punched me. And I don't know why it just popped into my head, but when I think about it, my brainwaves go nuts. You're like, well, there you go. So little Johnny taught your body that something wasn't safe and your stupid body believed it for 50 years. And maybe now there's a way to go back and erase that. So you can still remember a little Johnny if you want to, but you don't have any emotions associated with it. So dropping emotions that aren't serving you 
that come up unbidden is a massive way to free yourself. And Peter, go ahead. Yeah, it's unbelievable because I've had, you know, when I was a kid, I was chubby, I was bullied, you know, I had all these and it always keeps coming back to me. And that's why I was overly nice all the time to people who treated me like shit because I just wanted to be loved. I see it over and over again in my research. A lot of the super successful people that I have, they do all kinds of shit just to be loved from the people who don't care about them. Uh, but then I started realizing and learning, hey, what if you just ask for stuff? Why are we having a podcast today? I probably sent you 100 DMs and like done things w- which I've never done before. But as long as you do it with a friendly attitude, it works, right? It, it, it can work. And if it doesn't work, it's not because of you. In fact, I have a, um, a, a cousin <laughs> who much younger than me. And she's like, should I ask this guy out? Uh, you know, early 20s kind of thing. And I'm like, of course. And it's just, what if he says no? I'm like, okay, let me just get this straight. If you ask someone, hey, do you like tacos? And if they say, no, I don't like tacos. It doesn't mean that tacos are bad. It means that they don't have a taste for tacos. They like pizza, right? So you can ask someone over and over and simply their answer is not about you. The answer is only about them, right? But man, I know when I was you know, 22 and chubby asking a girl, I was like, man, you know, I'm willing to do it, but it, it felt like death every time, right? Yeah. And it it actually really was scary. And the fact of the matter is that, look, if someone likes you or doesn't like you, it's really about them. And if you feel like you have to modify yourself in order to meet you know what what they want, then you got to do some work on yourself. And and of course, in relationships, you learn how to work with people together. But the idea that oh, I'll change myself and then they'll like me, that usually comes from people who are mean to you when you were young. Um, or it can come from parents too. Parents all do their best, but you know, no parents are perfect, including me. Uh, so the other thing you said that stood out a lot is uh, bullying. The number of world-class athletes who are world-class athletes and the number of top entrepreneurs who are top entrepreneurs because they were bullied in the middle grades <laughs> is kind of ridiculous because you're like, no one likes me. I have to be the best. I'm going to be able to either stop those kids or I'm going to be able to prove something. And I've had so many people come to that realization when they're doing the neurofeedback stuff um, at my clinic because, uh, in fact, uh, Craig Hanley is a friend who runs a large thousand-person-plus call center in Mexico called Listen Trust. And he posted on Facebook, he's like, I just realized all of my entrepreneur endeavors are because I was bullied in seventh grade. And I'm sure some of mine were that way too, right? Because like, I, I'm going to prove myself. But if what you're doing isn't to prove it to yourself, isn't to do it for you or for a bigger mission than you, which gives you extra power in what you're doing, then ultimately you will feel empty even if you get it. And you'll look and say, oh, I got my first world championship. I think I need eight. Of course, I'm not talking about one in particular here, Peter. (laughs) No, you're right. And that's what my research is showing too, that uh, a lot of us, unfortunately, we got to learn to love ourselves because all of those accomplishments are not going to change a thing. And and that leads me to one of my uh, mission and the most important questions that I have is like the definition of success. So I'm curious, what's your definition of success? What's your definition of happiness? And can they go together? Uh, Happiness is uh, completely unrelated to success. Um, Success is also a function of your goals. So people can learn to say, I had a goal. I was unsuccessful in my goal and I'm still happy. 
I've met people who are profoundly poor who are way happier than I was. Like I remember I went to Cambodia, right? As I was, after I finished going to business school at Warden. And, you know, here I am, I have this you know, $100,000 MBA uh, from one of the top schools. Uh, and I'm, I'm not happy at all. In fact, I just, uh, let's see, at the time, I think I just gotten out of a really bad relationship and, you know, was, was struggling, to be honest. I hadn't started Bulletproof yet. And uh, I'm in Cambodia and you see these people who make a dollar a day, right? Profoundly poor. These are people who saw their parents be murdered. Okay. I mean, like really, really a society that should have been shredded by the amount of violence that had been there. And what I saw was people smiling with actual more happiness than I had. And I was really blown away, just going, wait a minute, how can people with you know, not knowing where their food's coming from tomorrow, how can they walk around with a smile on their face and singing and dealing with it? And it was a very different mindset and a very different culture. Um, but it it inspired me to say, wow, you know, they handled more than I did, you know, why do I need to have a pity party? And I wasn't having a pity party. I was just like, I will bear all the pain in my life instead of I'll do something about it. And it turns out you can do a lot about it. Uh, and then you find that some of the more altered states of reality that you're capable of without drugs, um, those are actually the super powered states. They're not average states, which is why I call them altered states. Um, when you learn how to access those things, you find that you can go into what a lot of people call a flow state. And I'm sure when you're you know, competing in martial arts, there's sometimes you, you go into a state and you just you know what's going on. Time slows down a little bit. Well, you can do the same thing if you're skiing at high speed, mountain biking, when, mountain biking or driving fast were the two I used to love when I was younger. It just put me, you know, going 40 miles an hour downhill. You, you have to just go into flow state because otherwise you'll die. <laughs> like you, you can't think about what to do. You have to just do. Well, it turns out the much safer way to go into a flow state is to be in service to others. <laughs> so I can go on, you know, Tony Robbins stage like, wow, there's 15,000 people in the audience all up here. Right. But there's no fear. It's just flow. And sometimes I don't even know what I'm going to say because I already, my, my body already knows. So if you can bring a flow state into what you're doing, and I do that now when I write, you know, I stay up late, I put myself in a very specific thing and I'll write for four hours straight, uninterrupted, and I'm just finishing my, my next book. And it's because of these unusual states that most people aren't even taught are possible. They're just easier to do when you have way more energy in your brain. And they're also easier to do when you're not eating toxins that slow you down. And when you don't have all sorts of distracting thoughts in your brain going, oh my God, is someone going to think about me and think I'm a bad person because I said this and all that kind of stuff? That's all just distractions. The, the hard thing that I, you know, what I'm really trying to do is I know there's someone out there listening to this show right now that are, you know, they have all these dreams like you had once upon a time and still have, but they're stuck. You know, they're stuck in a job. Maybe they're alone. They, they feel they don't have that energy that you're talking about to take the next step. W where do you start? Uh, <laughs> if you don't know where to start and just know that you got to change something in your life. Well, there, there's two ways to go about it. One of them is just hit rock bottom. <laughs> We're like, I am so miserable. I don't know what to do. In fact, this is where a lot of people end up going on a personal development path. They're like, I just got divorced. I just lost all my money. Uh, by the way, I've done both of those. Um, I, I just, you know, got really, really sick. Um, 
I, I lost a loved one. I got into a severe depression or, or whatever the thing is. And you're, you're just like, anything I do from here is better. That is not the preferred way of doing it. But sometimes that's what it takes to make you just finally get up and do it. Uh, the other thing you can do is you can actually say, I'm going to commit to a process of personal development. Right. And then you say, all right, what's within my financial means? What's within my time means? And who around will teach me? Because it just happens that there are lots of people who've gone down this path before you. In fact, there are people who've done it for thousands of years and written it down. And you can start doing yoga. You can start doing breathing exercises. And I've written about breathing, um, geez, since my very first book, um, The Art of Living Exercises, uh, Pranayama. So in other words, just pick one. Right. And sure, do some neurofeedback, do the some of the biohacking stuff, monitor your sleep. Say this mindset that is a core part of the bulletproof lifestyle. It's like I'm gonna do something to make myself better every day. It doesn't mean you have to go do 15 pull-ups or you know, go run a marathon every day. One simple thing. And it can be really simple. I read three pages of a book on meditation or a book on, you know, stoicism or whatever you wanted to do. You just have to check that box. And that's the same mindset that the Navy SEALs have, you know, be a little bit better. So instead of committing to a specific goal, so then it's binary, oh, I'm going to fail. I'm never going to eat a carb again, by the way, that's a stupid goal. But if you, you get into that, then you're going to fail and then you're going to fail and eat the entire cake. But if your goal is I'm going to commit to a process that I follow every day that allows for some deviations, but I'm still in the process, fine, you ate some cake today, you did something else, you meditated for 20 minutes. So I checked the box of doing something to make myself better every day, even if I screwed up on something else. And that is, is something you can get behind. Um, the easiest thing, depending on your age as well, is probably to focus on what's your life's purpose. <laughs> and uh, we have ways of doing that. So for people who don't know their life's purpose, it's very common when you're young to find someone who's doing something cool and say, I'll do what that person's doing. And you can join a team, right? And you can follow the leader of the team on doing that. And that's a really healthy way uh, to figure out how to move in a certain direction. But the odds are you're going to feel like that's your life's purpose, but it may not be your life's purpose. So borrowing someone else's life's purpose is a bad idea. It's got to be your life purpose. So learn from others, ask for help, ask for mentorship, but then commit to time journaling, time alone. And what we used to do is we'd say, hey, son, you're 12 or 13. Guess what? We're going to drop you off in the middle of nowhere with a knife and a loincloth. And if you're lucky, a little flint, um, when you know what your life purpose is, come back. And we have a vision, come back. Uh, and I've done the vision quest in a cave all by myself in the desert for four days and stuff like that. Uh, and it can be really valuable. But if you're not spending time with just yourself, going really deep on journeying, breathing, meditating, um, neurofeedback will definitely do that for you. Uh, at least the altered states kind of neurofeedback. Uh, or talking with people who know your elders from whatever tradition you come from. There's a reason we have rabbis and priests and shamans and really spiritual advanced energy worker therapists and people like that. They're all over the place. They'll help you tune in on what it is. And it doesn't have to be necessarily what you love. Be like, why do you think you're here? And once you get that, you can then spread your wings and it becomes one of those things instead of running away from fear. You're like, this is what I'm supposed to be doing. And when you do what you're supposed to be doing, it is effortless. It doesn't feel like work. It doesn't take very much energy. It's like there's something pushing you in that direction instead of you pushing against something. And that's where to get started. Know why you're here and what you're what you want to be doing. Yeah, I know. I love that, and I, I think that's it's great. There's but there's so many people that 
don't find that purpose. You know, they keep searching and searching. And what do you want to say to those people that are like, yeah, this all sounds great. And I, I'm so happy that you have a purpose, but I don't know what the fuck to do. All right. <laughs> What's going on there is you have a lot of distractions in your head. Right. So you actually do know your purpose. It's everyone knows at some level, you just have to stop the noise enough to hear it. And so stop going to X hamster, uh, especially for guys, that would be a, a good thing. And if you don't know what X hamster is good for you, don't go there. And uh, by the way, I'm just saying don't use porn if you didn't get the joke. Um, <laughs> So start you know, saving your energy. And I've just did a couple of really powerful interviews on Bulletproof Radio on my Instagram page, just on Dave.Asprey, little outtakes from John Gray, the Mars and Venus guy, who's a monk for nine years who talked about that. And Montauk Chia, the world's uh, Qigong master, like one of the most advanced guys alive, um, who both talk about the, the amount of energy that we put into that third F word, <laughs> the fertility one, all right? And then I'll just tell you, if you have a voice in your head telling you, what's for lunch, what's for lunch, I'm so hungry, I'm so hungry, Dude, you're eating wrong. Like stop eating the vegetables that piss your body off. Don't eat vegetable oil, don't eat fried stuff. Grains are probably not good for you. Uh, and things like that. Just go to the Bulletproof Diet, I can get the book, it's in paperback and Audible and all that, or get the Bulletproof Diet Roadmap, which tells you exactly what, you, uh, what you'd wanna eat. So these proteins make you full, these ones make you hungry. They're all proteins and there's nothing good or bad about plant or animal-based proteins. It's a question of which plant protein or which animal protein. So I'd tell you how to eat. You do that, suddenly you eat and you're not hungry for four hours, you don't think about food. Someone puts food in front of you, you don't start thinking about it, you just don't care because you're satisfied. That matters hugely. So now you realize, okay, I stopped worrying about food right? <laughs> and I stopped thinking about porn and naked people all the time. Now all I've got left is what am I afraid of? And you start nibbling away at the things you're afraid of and you can do it by going to the edge of a building and looking over. If you want to do exposure therapy, I used to do that. I'm not afraid of heights anymore, right? You can also face your fears. Afraid of speaking in public? I have no idea what I said the first time I gave a talk to a thousand people because I was about to shit myself. But magically, I survived and people applauded at the end. So I must have said something good. And I said, I'm not good at this. I became a teacher for five years. And I taught five nights a week in University of California until I can be in front of any audience. And I'm super happy to be there. Right? So you can overcome them. And you can also figure out where they come from. And you can do work. You can do EMDR, which is a form of therapy that lets you go through if you know you were bullied, if you know you have sexual abuse, if you know that your parents were bastards, <laughs> whatever, whatever the, the story in your head is, some of which is going to be true, some of which is your own story that's not even real. Um, you can go in and surgically edit your responsiveness to what's going on with techniques like that, and even just breathing techniques. And what you're going to find is you just cleared out 90% of the noise. And you can sit there and be like, you know what? I feel called to do this. This is why I am here. But to hear that message when you're swimming in, oh my God, what's for lunch? What am I afraid of? And is she naked? Dude, how would anyone do that? Yeah, no, you're right. Um, I want to go, I want to go a little bit deeper in 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 your life and talk about like, do you recall the biggest challenge you ever had and how it changed your life? Hmm. Every big challenge when you experience it will feel like the biggest challenge at the time, right? Um, but it probably isn't, right? And then when you go back, if you've done your, your trauma work, none of the challenges that felt giant at the time will feel giant anymore. So when, you, when you've 
let things go through this process of it's actually forgiveness of just like letting go, stopping holding a grudge about an old challenge, it loses all of its emotional charge. So I can think about, well, when I was 10 or so, I was bitten by a vampire bat. And I woke up literally with it feeding on my neck. I uh, said, oh, okay, that's not that big of a challenge. Well, it turns out it probably gave me some, uh, something called Bartonella. It's a bacterial infection um, that's very slow growing. And it's also known as cat scratch fever. And I had that in toxic mold as a kid. So I had arthritis in my knees when I was 14. I have huge stretch marks all over the place, both from being fat and probably from this thing going on. And you could say that's one of the biggest challenges because I had cognitive dysfunction, lots of pain throughout my body for a decade. Right? And okay, well, I did hack that. So was that my biggest challenge? I don't know. You know, being in a relationship for a while and then failing, that's a huge challenge, right? And I will tell you, making $6 million, thinking you're set for life and losing it two years later is on the WHO list of things, like losing a fortune um, is, uh, is on the list of 10 greatest stressors, like having someone in your family die. So which of those is a big challenge? I don't know, <laughs> right? Um, the ups and downs of companies can be really big challenges. Um, so I, I really don't know that I could say the one biggest challenge. But the idea is that life should continue to bring your challenges along. It should bring challenges for you as you are growing. And if life is no longer challenging, well, get up and do something then. <laughs> because you're not learning unless you're facing challenges and you're failing some of the time. And otherwise, you're just not pushing yourself very hard. So, so I would say none of those is my biggest challenge, right? My biggest challenge is how to become a fully enlightened human being. That's a big challenge. I'm still working on that one. I'll tell you when I'm done, right? <laughs> yeah, no, I love that. And I, I want to talk about, I know you share this a lot of times in the past, but some of my audience don't know how Bulletproof was invented, especially the coffee. Would you mind sharing sure. that for us? I decided in uh, 2004 that I was going to go to Tibet and learn meditation from the masters. So I spent three months and I traveled around Asia and I went to a monastery and I said, all right, I've already done a certain amount of personal development. I've lost a bunch of weight. I've tested all these different diets. I've been a raw vegan. Um, you know, all the, the normal diets, I ended up creating the Bulletproof diet just because nothing worked right. And there, there were things missing from what now is known as keto. There were things missing from, you know, vegetarian and vegan and zone and all those kinds of things. So I hadn't quite solved all that, but it was enough that I was in good enough shape. And even though my knees still hurt all the time, I said, all right, I can actually go trek in the Himalayas. And I went and I went to something called Mount Kailash, which is the holiest mountain in the world. It's essentially Mount Olympus. It's where the gods live if you're a believer in the Hindu faith or in Buddhism or an ancient religion that's tied to shamanism called Bone. And those three uh, religions or belief systems have been studying meditation for a very, very long time. And as well as in China and Japan, there are also very long um, historical things. In the Middle East, there's historical, even in Europe, we have some, it's just less known about, but ancient uh, Christianity had some very deep meditation techniques. So we've all been looking at this for a very long time, but I said, all right, I'm feeling called to do this. To get to Mount Kailash, you have to drive five days on a four-wheel drive dirt road. And it, it is rigorous. And it's where actually a lot of people go in summer to die. But because I am uh, uh, stubborn, I guess, the season for that was over. It was 10 degrees below zero on the mountain. There's maybe 10 or 12 tourists and most of the, the little mud huts where they heat 
they heat them with burning yak dung. Most of them are closed. And I had a porter. And I am feeling wrecked. My legs are really hurting. Uh, and I, I'm at very high altitudes, about 18,000 feet. Uh, and my water bottle is frozen. And this little Tibetan woman gives me yak butter tea, which is what it sounds like. It's yak butter added to hot tea, and they blend it up with a little butter churn. And so I drank it, and all of a sudden I felt amazing, like better than I'd felt in a long time. I said, all right, I want more. And I ended up having a bunch of it. And I came back to Silicon Valley after that. And I said, I'm going to try and recreate this. So I bought some butter and bought some tea, and it tasted like crap, and it didn't work. So then I bought $500 worth of expensive tea. It didn't work. So then I bought 25 kinds of butter. I'm like, wait, these two grass-fed butters work and these other ones don't. And then I tried coffee. And I'd given up coffee for five years because it made me want to punch people. (laughs) (laughs) And it turns out that coffee, most of it is made with a fermentation process that creates toxins called mold toxins. I created a process to make coffee that didn't have that. And like, I can drink coffee again. The angels sing, I love coffee. And to this day, I'm afraid of most coffee <laughs> because it has these toxins in it, but mine doesn't because of the lab testing. So I, uh, I make that and I've run an anti-aging nonprofit group for almost 20 years. And from that, I knew about this weird substance called MCT oil that no one had talked about. And I said, all right, I'm going to add the MCT oil. I'm just going to try this out. I tried thousands of variations of coconut oil and coconut milk and cream, whatever. And I came up with the one that works. And to this day, 200 million cups of Bulletproof coffee later, 1 million pounds lost on the Bulletproof diet about 10 years after I published it first on the blog. It's like, well, we have special coffee beans, the Bulletproof ones. Uh, We have grass-fed butter and we have the Bulletproof brain octane, the MCT oil. And what what that does uh, when you blend it up, there's about six things I wrote about in the Bulletproof diet, but you drink it, it'll raise your ketone levels dramatically. Normally, when you're doing personal development work, you fast for a couple of days, and then you're able to access these amazing states because your body makes ketones and your neurons can get more energy out of ketones. It's like putting high octane gas in your car. So uh, I guess if you don't have a gas car, it's like using a supercharger versus a trickle charger in your Tesla there. So anyway, that makes a big difference. Uh, And I was inspired by the trip to Tibet and the, just that one noticing, hey, something's different here. And noticing that I could reach those states from advanced meditation that come from fasting by having the ketones present from the MCT oil in the Bulletproof coffee. And it's, uh, you know, it, it's a brand that you can find in major grocery stores now. You know, I've started a, a very large, uh, very large, it's, it's debatable, but a, a quite successful startup um, with lots of zeros in its revenue number. Um, based on doing that and led millions of people to a different lifestyle where your brain works because mine didn't work and where you have abs because it's a side effect <laughs> of of having a brain that works, not because you wanted to be a cover model. Now it's incredible. And I mean, when I heard that, you know, Brian talking on London Real about the coffee, I, I didn't really get it. And then I came here to Santa Monica and I I tried it and and now I just love it. And you know, I, I always send you DMs. By the way, I, I'm probably going to stop with that now to not <laughs> bug you anymore. But, you know, after I work out, I, I go in and get the, the coffee and I feel so good. It, it is a noticeable difference from regular coffee. And you could be listening to this going, oh, Dave's trying to sell us coffee. Look, 
<laughs> Bulletproof coffee sells itself. It is it is a, a phenomenon. It's been around for 10 years. It is still growing. It is still some people go, I can't believe I just finally tried putting butter in coffee. And if you say, oh, Dave, I don't want to do any kind of special beans that don't cause a crash an hour or two later and give you sugar cravings, it's fine. Take whatever coffee you have. And instead of butter, or sorry, instead of cream or milk or artificial sweetener or sugar, put in butter. And if you don't have grass-fed butter, put in regular butter. But if you can spend three bucks on a stick of Irish butter that's from cows that ate grass, it'll work better. You put a teaspoon or a tablespoon, whatever you want, you, you blend it when it's brewed and hot and all that. That will work better than cream or milk in your coffee. And if you're like on, a, on what I like to call the dirty keto diet, in other words, you don't understand the nuances of what different foods do to you, I had to create the Bulletproof diet because the keto diet doesn't work. It, you'll lose half your weight, you'll feel great, and then you plateau. Well, that's why I made the Bulletproof diet because that happened to me. But if you do it the way I'm talking about in the coffee, you will feel different and it'll work. And if you're saying, oh, well, it's still keto, I'll use cream. Cream doesn't work. I mean, I have theories about why. I don't know why. But if you want to get that, oh my God, my brain just turned on, you use butter, hot coffee, and MCT oil. And the reason brain octane oil is important Normal MCT oil has four kinds of oils that are mixed together, and our MCT oil is just the one that has the best studies behind it. So we basically throw away three quarters of the MCT oils because they're not good enough and put the ones in. Um, and it tastes like a creamy latte, but man, the difference, it's real. Brian picked it up right away, and we've become friends. Uh, I really appreciate Brian Rose and London Real, and he's doing great work right now. I'm just saying I'm going to interview people who you know, they're sort of like – untouchable people uh, because you know, they have differing opinions and his commitment to free speech is, is laudable. I, I appreciate that. And he's pointing out censorship that is happening. So um, for the first, I think, three years of the show, he would make Bulletproof Coffee for everyone. And here's the deal. People have won Ironmans on Bulletproof Coffee. People drink it before they go on massive stages to have more energy. Um, people have won gold medals on it. People have summited Everest on Bulletproof Coffee. And it's not because they're all trend followers. <laughs> it's because like people who are doing really hard things know what works. People, a lot of people in Hollywood, a lot of Wall Street traders, a lot of entrepreneurs, people who are pushing themselves. Um, they, will, they will test everything, but you stick with the stuff that works. And so that's uh, sort of my offering for people. It says, look, if you wanted to do more of X, and to do it with excellence, maybe a few more electrons are going to help you because this is a reliable way to get them. Dave, are you an alchemist? And we're talking about alchemy, the art of immortality. Absolutely. If you read the beginning of Superhuman, and this is my most recent book, this is my anti-aging book, the number one goal of this book is not to turn people into alchemists. It's just to point out something that's really obvious once you think about it. We have an epidemic of a lack of elders. In every society throughout history, our older people were venerated because they had the knowledge and they would pass it down through their kids and more importantly, through their grandkids. And we've created a world now where a lot of our older people are too tired and their brains don't work, right? And they're marginalized. And then our younger people don't have time to spend with them. But I have found the most enriching things when, that come to me when I interview people who are 75 years old, 85, 95, because, man, they have twice as much wisdom as I do, and they're willing to distill it down, and they actually like to help, right? Same way I'll, I'll support when I have the time. I'll support younger entrepreneurs because 
I can help them not go through the pain that I went through. And I write my books to say, you can also avoid a lot of the pain that it took me. I spent a million dollars upgrading my biology. Maybe you shouldn't have to, and maybe I shouldn't have had to. So here's the shortcuts. Here's the things that actually work, and here's why, and here's what to do. So um, that's the, the motivation behind the book. And at the beginning of that book, I talk about alchemy. And what the alchemists were trying to do was not turn lead into gold, which is what we all learned in you know, fifth grade or something. That was uh, an analogy. What they were trying to do was turn, uh, turn themselves into immortals, to turn the, the lead, the, the heavy part of the spirit into a light part of the spirit. So they were absolutely chasing the fountain of youth. They were studying immortality through every possible pathway. And in the first chapter of Superhuman, I write about the different paths to this, whether it's what happened in India, what happened in the Middle East, what happened in Europe, because we have a rich history of doing this. And then I wanted to dispel the, mo the notion that, you know what, when we're old, people say, oh, why would I want to live forever? That sounds terrible. Well, if you think you're going to be in a wheelchair and you're going to have tubes and monitors and you'll be putting your car keys in the fridge, you won't know your own name and you'll be entirely dependent on other people and wearing a diaper, I don't want that either. Right? That is not the vision of aging that is real. That is uh, artificial reality that's created, and it's created by you if you make really bad choices now. If you make better choices now, we have better access to technology, better access to resources, and better access to information and knowledge than we ever have in all of human history. So you change the environment around you enough, the odds of you being old and being high-functioning, having tons of energy, having a brain that works, it's pretty good. Why do you want to be 180? Um, I feel like there's a lot of really cool stuff here, uh, lots of problems to solve. And uh, I'm nowhere near bored. Um, the reason 180 is a real number is that we know we can do 120 right now because we have people who are 120 years old. Now, if you're 120, think about what life would have been like in 1900. No airplanes haven't been done yet. World War I would still be fought on horseback. There's a few tanks, but they were pretty crappy. Horses, right? <laughs> um, railroads were all the things, you know, Rock, Rockefeller was getting his oil monopolies. I mean, it was a different world, right? Yeah. And you're still alive today. So if you fast forward 100 years from now, what's it going to look like? I will tell you, if we can't do 50% better than our current best in the next 100 years, given machine learning, AI, uh, a lot of the work on cloud computing uh, that I participated in in the early days, so I, I really know about that, and all of the human genome project and mitochondria and lasers that didn't exist even 50 years ago, man, it, it is just a, a time of renaissance for medical science, for anti-aging, for core biology, basic biochemistry. And I know because I've worked with them, I've known them for 20 years, people doing the highest end work in the anti-aging field. They're finally willing to put their academic careers at risk and say, yeah, I'm at Harvard, but we know how to reverse aging in cells. And I've had stem cells put in pretty much everywhere in your body. You can have them put, right? And I said, all right, I'm going to do that because the science is good enough around stem cells now that it's worth doing. We didn't know what stem cells were a long time ago. So we're unraveling the biology of aging and turning on switches in the body that didn't exist before. And I'm exceptionally hopeful. The things that will stop us are running out of topsoil because of this ridiculous idea that we can't have animals in our biological systems. You must have animals to have healthy soil. That is very well established. 
Um, that also means, by the way, if you don't eat animals, at least on occasion, animals that ate healthy things, you won't be healthy. And if you eat unhealthy animals, you won't be healthy. So we've got to protect our soil by having regenerative agriculture, because if you run out of soil, which is going to take about 60 years, we won't make it to 180. And we got to protect our oceans and our planet. The good news is, if you're going to live to 180, guess what? You're not going to throw the plastic in the ocean right now because you know you're going to have to eat it in a fish later. So if you have a long-term vision of your life, you will take care of the planet better. And that is really important. If you think you're going to basically check out when you're 70, your timeline isn't big enough to make good decisions for the world you live in. Love that. Dave, uh, I know you got to go. You have family time. I only have two more questions and then I'll let you go. So I want you to imagine you are 179, turning 180 soon. You're sitting in a rocking chair overlooking maybe the ocean or a mountain or whatever you love and kind of contemplating on your life. What do you want to see and have happen in order to say, wow, this was a good run? I think I should be mountain biking with my great, great, great grandkids. Um, because remember, it's at least 180 and fuck the rocking chair, if I can just say that uh, real straightforward. Of course, yeah. <laughs> I love it. Okay, cool. Last question. And that is, we're all about sharing tools, journeys. But at the end of the day, I want the people that are spending time with us to take action in their own life, to create something that they're proud of, to create their own success, their own happiness. What's the first thing they should do right after this show? I would suggest that you focus on sleep of all the things you can do. If you can get a higher return on investment for the time you spend to sleep, you're going to sleep anyway. You might as well sleep really, really well. That would be one of the easiest things because if you do that right, you'll make more electrons the next day. Your brain will work better. Your emotional stuff will work better. Your spiritual side can be better. It's a, a very high return on activity. Activity. I don't mean sleep more. I mean sleep better. And I'm going to suggest go to daveasprey.com slash sleep challenge uh, because I didn't plan that sleep answer, by the way. I didn't know I was going to mention this, but I'm putting on a sleep challenge that starts in a few days. So people can can go there and uh, sign up. And then I will teach you over the course of 14 days everything I know about sleep hacking. And most of the stuff you read online says how to hack your sleep. It's derivative of some of my original posts on how, what's really going on with your sleep. Not just the science of it, but what do you do to go to sleep faster, to stay asleep all night long, to wake up feeling better because I was such a crappy sleeper. So if you can do that one thing tonight, make the bedroom dark, Make sure that you black out your window, put foil up in your window if you have to, but make it so when you wake up in the morning, you can't see anything and watch what happens to your quality of sleep. Unplug all the little blinky lights and crap like that. Put your phone in airplane mode, turn off your Wi-Fi, see what happens. And that alone, if you do that every night, can make you a better human being. Love that. I mean, I love sleep. We're from Sweden, known for our amazing mattresses, all natural, you know, yeah. I... I love sleeping and uh, I think it's super important. Uh, Dave, um, I'm honored that you were able to be our 200th guest. It's kind of a full circle moment for me. So I appreciate you. I appreciate your time. Uh, thanks again. And uh, anything we can do to support you. Uh, I'm still going to go to Bulletproof uh, as much as I can. Enjoy uh, my days getting better and being more energized. So thank you. And we appreciate you. Peter, thanks for having me on as your 200th guest. I really appreciate it. Have a beautiful day.
Thank you. And thank you everybody that listened to this show and that you're still here with us 200 episodes in. You know, I'm so grateful for uh, you and that you're taking your life seriously and want to do something amazing. Uh, please help us grow. And I have a big mission. I want to help at least 10 million people in 10 years to go after their dreams. I can't do it myself. So share this podcast with somebody that needs to hear this message, go to my website, ilovesuccess.co, sign up to get these episodes. There's 200 episodes now with amazing game changers. That's it. I'm not going to quit. I'm not going to stop. Just like Dave, we're looking forward to a long and happy life. So thank you so much. Virtual hug. Mm -hmm.